Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing this show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Kate Allen. Kate is an incredible petrochemical product manager with over a decade of software as a service leadership experience which I have no idea what that is, actually. We're going to find, try and find out, actually. Uh, Kate, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes. Um, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. My name's Kate Allen, and like Michelle said, I am a petrochemical product manager for True Solutions, which is a uh, U.S.-based software organization. So we... Um, consult with companies in the energy sector about ways to digitalize their maintenance and inspection processes. Okay. That is interesting. With the software as a service, what is actually that? Yeah. So a, a software as a service means, you know, we, we provide software as well as consultative services to our customers on a kind of ongoing monthly license fee type of basis. So, you know, you you pay us monthly for like a subscription, so to speak. And in exchange for that, you get access to our digitalized reports that can be used on iPads, tablets, or web-based devices. Maybe, maybe kind of in the industrial process space, where you're used to doing things on pen and paper and then transcribing them into Word documents or Excel spreadsheets, we like to kind of eliminate that report writing and, and documentation step and let these field service technicians, whether they be service techs or inspectors or engineers or members of a maintenance team, spend more of their time in the field where they belong, where they add value doing the things that they want to do, as opposed to sitting behind a desk, writing reports and, you know, messing with PDFs and Microsoft Word and, and things like this all day long. Okay. How did you get into that sort of area? Yeah. So I have been in software about all of my career. I don't want to tell you how, <laughs> I don't want to date myself by telling you how long that's been. But I started working in the third-party staffing and recruiting space and kind of human resource type things. And then I was drawn to, to True and the kind of problem solving that went into working in industrial processes. And that was all very new to me. And after about a year or so there, we were approached by you know a super major global refiner to solve some of the problems that they were facing in the energy sector. And it just really grabbed my attention. And I've kind of been sitting in that seat ever since. Okay. So was it a conscious decision for you to move over to, to work in that area? It was. Yeah, very, very much so. It was uncomfortable and very foreign to me. Like I said, I had always worked in staffing and human resources much more 
desk jobs, right? IT staffing, recruiting, things like that. So this was very, all very foreign to me, but the problems that this industry in particular were facing seemed much greater and of much more importance than than what I was currently working on. So I kind of took a leap of faith and and entered the industry. Okay. So you didn't work in the uh, energy sector before then. So how did, did you get started then? Yeah. So the the company that I work for, True Solutions, at the time, uh, it was called True QC. And actually, a couple of friends of mine from college had started this company because they worked primarily in industrial coatings. And they were up against a ton of challenges in terms of compliance. And, you know, they're, they were going to have their, their licenses yanked because they weren't submitting the proper reports that they needed to stay within compliance and, and keep their licenses. So the, the first iPad had just come out and they thought maybe there's something that we can do with this, right? Because we have all these great foremen in the field who are excellent painters, right? They do a tremendous job in blasting and coding and painting, but they're not great report writers. So they developed, you know, an app for the new iPad one so that these guys could fill out the report as they completed each task, mark as complete, take photos, you know, note kind of any non-conformances that they came across and do that throughout the day, as opposed to at the end of a very long day in a very hazardous environment, being forced to go and sit at a desk for three additional hours and rack their brain to remember everything that they had done that day and anything that jumped out at them as, you know, needing additional attention. Okay. So, kind of in talking with them and learning about what, what kind of problems they were trying to solve in these in these spaces you know my my prior software knowledge kind of kicked in and i immediately started you know trying to trying to problem solve for an industry that i was really unfamiliar with and i think that sometimes that outside opinion is is really what what people need okay did you find that your skills in the it industry was it transferable did you find it difficult to pick up to pick up the work in the oil industry you know it there there were certainly technical skills that were transferable from one industry to the other but i i did have and i still do have a lot to learn about the energy sector and about the challenges that they face and about the the way that they work but you know, I think especially when it comes to the human element of rolling out software and trying to streamline processes and improve efficiency, the challenges are kind of universal. So whether you're doing software for accountants or doctors or energy sector professionals, the the human part is always very much the same, right? People innately don't like change and they aren't always quick to see that something that doesn't necessarily help them directly can have indirect benefits to their entire organization or the industry at large. Okay. So what is the most challenging problem that you've worked on? Well, so so probably developing a software solution for an HF Alki unit 
right? So for um, API 751, which is the, the Alki unit turnaround, or for those flanges and valves, that is certainly the most complicated industrial process that I've encountered. There's so many nuances and so many parties that are involved planners and schedulers and inspectors and contractors and maintenance contractors and mechanical contractors and engineers, um, you know, all of these people trying to work on something collaboratively around the clock in a caustic environment with a very, very well-defined start and end time, right? Learning that process and the role that each individual group plays in that process was probably the most challenging project that I've worked on thus far. But I can I can say that, you know, I, I did that for the first time in 2018. I think I was also about eight and a half months pregnant when that project started. So there was a lot going on. But, you know, looking back and having now implemented that solution for multiple customers at multiple facilities, I, I can say that I think it's my favorite of our product offerings. And, and I get excited every time, you know, every time I get to uh, reconfigure that for a new customer or someone comes to me with a new challenge. I really love that, that product and that process. Okay. So how do you go about solving new problems that a customer comes with you? Yeah. Everyone has a, a problem statement, right? So what, what is the problem that that we're trying to solve for? And in a lot of cases, it's, you know, we can't we can't get through our entire schedule in a year, for example, if we're talking about kind of routine maintenance and inspection, how do we get through the entire schedule in a year with reductions in headcount? or without going over budget, or without shutting down a a unit in the refinery, right? And all of that has to do with that kind of consultative approach that we take. And I'm always quick to remind people that I am not an energy sector subject matter expert, right? I have never worked in a refinery, but I am an unbiased third party who has expertise in software and specifically in the true solutions platform. And I can kind of use the tools in my toolbox to build you a solution based on the information that you can share with me. So I love to talk to the users in the field. It's it's generally management or corporate who brings us into a problem, but I think consulting with the end users or the people who are actually going to be entrusted with using the solution day in and day out, that is where where the greatest greatest benefit to everyone comes from, is learning how, how these individuals work and what their pain points and struggles are so that we can try and overcome those. Okay. Sounds amazing. So who was your role model in your career? Oh, <laughs> you know, I don't really know that I've, that I've found one yet. Um, I look up to a lot of a lot of people. I think that there's a ton of people in the industry as well as within, you know, leadership within my own organization. There are certainly people that I aspire to be like in certain ways. 
right? Whether it's their work ethic or their positive attitude or their kind of take no prisoners approach to sales and and things like that. Um, I think that I've been influenced by a great many people, but I'm not sure that I have have found or even really want to find, you know, aspirationally um, a role model. I think that that we can all get better in our own ways by playing to our our own strengths every day. Okay, so how do you play to your own strengths every day? How would you go about doing that? So, like I said, you know, I am not I'm not an expert in in oil and gas or in refining or in in the downstream sector or in inspection or anything like that. But I think that my strengths are are in problem solving and also in my my willingness to admit when I don't know, you know, when I'm in over my head. So I think that a lot of people, and maybe even you, Michelle, since you invited me to this podcast, assume that I know a lot more than I do, right? Or that that I'm an energy sector hero for for some reason because of my broad depth of knowledge on the topic. And that's that's not really true. And I'll be the first person to tell you that. And I think that that my honesty and my candor in in doing so is one of my strengths. And then I think my ability to listen, to hear other people and to kind of identify the problems or or the challenges that that they're facing based on a conversation and and kind of jumping right into to identifying and solving for that problem is is definitely a strength of mine because especially in software, you know, we walk into situations where people want to solve for everything on on day 1 right we we want to eat the apple in one bite and and you can't you can't do that right you have to start and in order to start you have to identify one particular problem that you want to solve and it's hard for people sometimes to see the forest through the trees when they're faced with so many problems and i i think that identifying one that is solvable and easily solvable and we'll get everyone a quick win, right? Is a great confidence booster. And and that that's always a great place to start is, you know, with with something small that you that you know you can tackle that's going to energize the team and encourage them to to keep marching forward towards solving this problem. Okay. Do you think it's a important well it's really good at skills that you have actually, but because not a lot of people would admit if they were in over their head. Do you think it's an important thing? Do you think it's important for for people to do? Absolutely. I think that being honest with yourself as well as with your coworkers and your customers and partners and vendors, I think it's it's super important. And I think it I think honesty builds trust also. And when I consult on these projects or I work with these various customers, it's really important to build trust early. And by nodding my head and, and smiling and pretending to understand, you know, the conversations that are going on around me, I'm not, I'm not helping myself or my customer. So asking someone to slow down or telling them that you're not familiar with what they're they're talking about or reminding them that, you know, you're you're the expert in in software, not in um you know, HF alkylation, for example, I think that those, those reminders and those, 
you know, those nuggets of honesty go a really long way in, in building a successful partnership. That's really good advice, actually. Well, so, so what is your, what is the most challenging thing about your current role and how do you handle it? So I think, you know, right now we're, we're kind of transitioning. So for the last, you know, 10 or so years, I've been working in a position where, where I'm building custom solutions for individual customers, right? So someone comes to me and they say, we have nothing and we want you to build this solution for us from the ground up. And I've been doing custom work for a long time. And that has been relatively easy because the the customers are telling me exactly what they want, right? And now I am trying to build a more standardized product offering for the entire energy sector. So kind of an an out-of-the-box solution that will appeal to a broader audience. Less custom, more repeatable. And that is really requiring me to learn a lot more about the industry and about compliance and about regulations within the industry and about work processes and, and kind of go out and seek this information on my own rather than having it be brought to me you know, by a, by a customer, that is, that's definitely a challenge that's new to me and something that, um, that I'm facing currently trying to, you know, trying to, to better myself and broaden my, my knowledge of the industry, um, which I've been in, you know, for almost 10 years, but I haven't really been, been boots on the ground a part of. So immersing myself in the, in the energy sector a little bit more is, is definitely, something that I'm working on and and something that continues to challenge me on a regular basis. Okay. So how do you keep abreast of new technology in the in the oil and gas or the energy sector? So I do a lot of of traveling, a lot of trade shows and customer events. I, you know, go to the API standards meetings to just sit in the room with people who use this technology and understand how they're using it and you know what new petroleum you know industry standards are coming out each year um, and how that affects the customer i think really hearing hearing it in their words and seeing it through their eyes is certainly helpful and really important and also at these events you know walking around the trade show. There's always a a trade show component at these events and walking around and talking to other vendors and other players in the industry and learning what they're doing or what their products offer, how they're working to solve for, for these problems in our industry as well. And kind of networking and making connections there to figure out maybe how my software can integrate with some alarms that you have for, you know, overfill protection or fire prevention or devices or gauges or robots or drones, you know, kind of all of this technology that is popping up in the industry now, kind of just keeping keeping abreast of all of that and making face-to-face connections with people at these uh, industry-specific events. No, that sounds amazing. Is there anything that you still want to achieve in your career? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I have a lot of of things that I want to do, you know. Um 
getting getting this product out right so so working with with um all of my colleagues and and teammates on the technical and development side to kind of release a a product that has broad appeal and solves problems in a large scale way that's kind of my immediate term goal right to to get this all out and then just to continue to learn and and grow within the industry and also to you know kind of make a path that's a little more inclusive and encourages more women to join the industry i think is a goal i have for myself i'm not really sure how to accomplish that yet or what that looks like but you know over the last couple of years i've seen attendance you know the the amount of women that are becoming members to these these sort of api and afpm organizations it's on the rise there's you know more women in attendance at these conferences the number of female engineers is increasing um and i think that those are all really really great signs of of what's to come in terms of maybe diversifying the industry a little bit in the next 5 to 10 years okay that sounds amazing do you have any ideas how you're going to encourage a uh, younger women to come into the industry because it is because especially in the UK I see that a lot more women are cut are, are being engineers there's yeah. a lot of them coming through now which is uh, very encouraging I think yeah no I think so too I you know I have two daughters myself I think just the opportunities that that they're given now or that the emphasis that's being put on on STEM and on engineering for for all young children is far greater now than it ever was you know when i was growing up and i think kind of not pushing them towards those opportunities but gently guiding them to explore those kinds of things is certainly helpful so i think you know i think starting young and opening you know opening all kids minds to the possibilities of of science and technology and and coding but also working with their hands right kind of different labor related jobs i you know working with your hands and learning to be more hands on at a young age i think is really important with the older group you know the the college age or the right out of college kind of group i think that you know just like you said seeing so many more female engineers or females in the industry as a whole is really encouraging and i think that creating networking groups or groups for like-minded young female engineers and letting them know that that there is a place for them here and welcoming them because i you know i remember the first time i walked into one of these events and it was not uncommon for me to be the only woman or the only woman in in any of these rooms and kind of just you know building a bridge for those younger women and letting them know that you know they're they're not alone in this that we're all here to support each other and kind of grow grow a space for ourselves i think that will all happen in in good time yeah i think so too actually so if you were going to hire someone a graduate or senior what kind of values would you look for for in for the person yeah you know for for the type of work that i do specifically i think a a good listener is is really important because 
in this industry, sometimes people don't know what they want, right? They can they can say it and say it and explain to you all day what they do, but they can't identify what the problem is that they're trying to solve. So being being a good listener and having kind of strong problem solving skills is is definitely important. The ability to prioritize. So working on on projects in a prioritized order and and being able to shift from one project to another to another when when things kind of heat up or speed up is also really important. And then again, just that ability to be candid and honest both with yourself, with your boss, with your colleagues and your customers is really important. I I I tell my kids this all the time, you know, like there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know, right? It's it's perfectly reasonable. No one expects you to know everything. So rather than pretending like you know, saying that you don't know, acknowledging that you're not educated enough on the topic or being willing to admit that there's someone who knows more about it than you do who can provide a better answer. It's not only acceptable, I think it's preferable, right? To say I don't know but I'll find out. I think you know, honesty builds trust and builds bridges in in all areas. And it's certainly not something that that should be undervalued. I do agree with your last statement that you says that I think it's probably it's better for you to be able to go and find out because not everybody knows everything. So it's probably better. It is better for you to go and find out that being able to go and find out the answer to a problem rather than know, know it yourself. Right. And being, being able to go and find something out, right. That that's a skill set all in its own. I was going to say it's a skill. You're, you're being resourceful and you're learning how to ask questions and you know you're demonstrating your ability to work with others or source information it, you know that is like a really lost <laughs> i feel like that skill set is really lost on a lot of young people who just google everything or get this information you know i don't know how how people find things out these days but i you know i remember the days of having to like go look through books in the library and encyclopedias and things and kind of in this quick instant gratification generation, right? Where the internet knows all the answers, being able to go and and find things and be resourceful is is a really valuable skill. It is. And being able, knowing, I think it's important that you know where to get the answer quite quickly. Like who has, who has all the knowledge more than being sitting there trying to look at, look it up online. I think right. it's probably more important. It's also teaches you, you know, networking as well. Yes. And that's yeah. Talking, talking to people, right? The art yeah. of conversation <laughs> is yeah. another thing that is, is, you know, that, that skill is kind of people who have it are few and far between, right? They're so used to texting and emailing and, and not actually, exchanging ideas or conversation in the old fashioned way, you know, that, that goes a long way as well. I think this oil and gas or energy sector is, is still a little bit old school. So, you know, and they want to meet people and they want to have 
conversations, be they on Zoom or over the phone or face-to-face, they want to talk. They they don't want to text or email. So verbal, you know, your your verbal skills and your ability to start and carry a conversation, I think, is is also really important. I think so too. Yeah, the oil industry, energy sector, they're all the they do love their meetings. They do, yes. Yep. So how would you handle a meeting actually for any of our young listeners? Yeah. Um I, you know, I think face to face, are we talking? Well, we're still some of us, some of well, some of us here are still um are still Zoom meetings. Yeah. But how would you typically prepare for a meeting? So I would always, you know, I always do a little a little research, right? Be resourceful. Try and know about the who you're meeting with, the the business that they're in, any kind of newsworthy things that are that are going on in the in the industry or within that company. Um, being prepared, right, goes a long way. And also, you know, if you're if you're meeting on Zoom, I think having your camera on as much as as much as it's uncomfortable, it really humanizes you a little bit, right? So having your camera on in a meeting and showing or demonstrating to the people that you're meeting with that you're engaged and you're listening and that they have your full attention, I think that is really important. I'm a big fan of eye contact and I know it's tougher over over Zoom or in a virtual meeting, but I do think eye contact is really important. Looking a person in the eye when they're talking or when you're talking to them, I think I think that goes a really long way. And just you know, being engaged. Don't be playing on your phone or checking your email or you know all these all these things. Be an active participant in the conversation or an active listener if that's your role. But in whatever capacity, you should always demonstrate engagement that where you are and who you're talking to is the most important thing that's going on in your world at that moment. I was going to ask, because there is maybe some younger, younger people that might be quite shy to, to maybe at the start of their career, maybe have an opinion or talk in a meeting. How would you get over that? Even some people who are older or have the same problem, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely is a challenge. And I think, you know, again, to kind of go back to the honesty portion, right? Asking a question is a really good way to demonstrate that you're listening. And and also if you're one of the youngest or newest people in an organization or in a meeting room, again, no one expects you to know everything. So I think just a clarifying question or asking, you know, so do you mean that, you know, even if it's restating something is a is a really good way to introduce yourself into the conversation or to gain knowledge, right? To say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that process. Can you explain it to me a little bit more? I think it's also flattering to people sometimes to know that they're kind of an expert, right? On a on a certain topic. So you're not only increasing your own knowledge, but you're kind of complimenting 
the person who's maybe leading the conversation by asking them to um, share some more of their expertise with you. Yeah, that's quite, that's correct as well. I do agree with that. So have you ever encountered any career disasters? Disasters. I mean, not yet, but the day is is still young. <laughs> there, there hasn't been anything that I would say has been disastrous. You know, certainly there are emergencies and fire drills and things that that kind of pop up that you you wish wouldn't happen. Um, you know, COVID was a whole a whole disaster for us. We had a a large refinery heading into turnaround that I, you know, I had plans to be on site with them to train all of their users and all of the contractors and offer my support for the first several days of this turnaround event. And, you know, we we went into lockdown, right? So I was not allowed, you know, there were no visitors or no no outside vendors or anything like this allowed into the refinery during this time. And that that was definitely something that I was nervous about. It it could have been disastrous, but you know, we we did everything virtually. I sat in a Zoom room, I don't know, maybe for 16 hours a day. And I was just up on the screen in a in a trailer offering support remotely, asking people how things were going, running impromptu training sessions. It was unforeseen and unprecedented but we we rolled with the punches right the kind of the show must go on the the work didn't stop and and we came out on the other side you know successful i think because of everyone's willingness to pitch in maybe more than they had originally planned on and because of their you know ability to to help and to think on their feet and and it went i think as as smoothly as it could in a situation like that I do agree, actually. I think that the way a lot of people worked during COVID was actually probably a lot different to how we'd been used to working for years before. I think there was a lot more on team, you know, reliance, reliance on each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, people were at home with small children and unable to fill obligations that they normally filled. and, And those people who had no children or grown children, you know, were able to to step up and and support their teammates through kind of all these turbulent times and last minute changes in schedule. And now my whole family has COVID and, and we're down for the count and we need somebody to step up here. You know, I think everybody, you know, I'm very lucky to work in an organization where everyone was willing to pitch in, right? And to be flexible and to step up when they needed to. And and demonstrate that so that we could all have the confidence to know that should we have to in any, you know, whether it be for COVID or, or any other reason, right, down the road, that we have a team behind us who is is gonna pitch in and is gonna help out and support us and kind of get us get us through whatever it is that that is challenging us at that moment. Yeah, I agree, actually. I do agree with that. Yeah, it could have been terrible you know and and i think if you if you maybe didn't have that type of support system or or didn't know that you had that type of support system 
COVID could have gone a lot differently for people. But I think, you know, everyone just demonstrated their willingness to help and to learn and to support each other. And now I think because of that, you know, we're all back in the office and we have this really awesome company culture and this collaborative environment because we had been through this experience together. Um, and we knew that that everybody had demonstrated their support for one another. And I think it it kind of gave us a boost as a team and and maybe instilled a lot more trust in our coworkers, you know, than we had originally had. I agree. I think that even in my work as well, I think we all have a a better uh, team working environment, probably due to COVID, because we did all we all did we did all pitch in and help support each other the best we could. Yeah, and and we all kind of I think I think everyone was was vulnerable in in that time, right? So people are working at their kitchen tables with their, you know kids and pets and multi-generational families in the background. And we were kind of seeing a peek behind the curtain, if you will, like even from our leadership and our CEO and, you know, our president and kind of seeing a, a sneak into their personal lives, maybe, which humanized them a little bit more than we're used to seeing, in, you know, from nine to five in the office environment. And I, I, you know, I think we all saw each other a little bit or see each other a little bit differently after that experience. Yeah, I think so too. So what is your zone of genius? What are you most good at? Oh, ugh. I ugh, I don't know. I think I think it's relating to people, maybe. I think I excel in relationship building and you know, like getting to know people. And I think that that goes a long way in personal and professional settings. But professionally, I think people, you know, let their guard down a little bit more with with me sometimes because we're able to have these honest human conversations and and we're able to to find something that almost always, not everybody, but almost always, I can find some kind of common ground to connect with people on. And I think that that goes a long way in in building a relationship, especially a, a professional relationship, one one built on trust and honesty and mutual respect. And I think that that's really important. Yeah, I agree, actually. So I was going to ask you, if you can turn back time, would you change anything? Anything? <laughs> would you? Hmm. You know, I, I kind of wish I would, you know, looking, looking back hindsight being what it is, I, I guess I wish I would have entered this industry sooner. I didn't really think that I, based on my education and my, you know, experiences in, in childhood and, and growing up in college, I didn't really think that I had anything necessarily to offer to this industry. I was more, you know, a liberal arts major. I studied Spanish and literature and I I didn't see how how it would be possible for my skill sets to line up with something in industrial process or in anything science related or engineering wise or, you know, that just 
it wasn't the world that I grew up in. I didn't grow up near an oil refinery or have any family members who worked in the energy sector. I live in Missouri. It's, you know, it's not like, it's not like I grew up in Houston where big oil and energy was all around me. And I just by osmosis, you know, felt that growing up. It was very new to me. It was nothing I had been exposed to. And I wish that that maybe I would have known about opportunities in the industry sooner or had explored job opportunities outside of my immediate comfort zone. Because I, you know, I think I find it also interesting that I think maybe I would have unearthed kind of a, a passion for it sooner. Okay. So what advice would you give anybody that was uh, looking to come into the energy sector? You know, I would, I would say like, don't count yourself out regardless of, of what is holding you back or what makes you think that you shouldn't or, or couldn't contribute in this industry. I think that there's a, there's a huge shift in energy right now. Kind of all of the all of the culture keepers or the the kind of baby boomer generation that holds all of this industry knowledge and expertise, all of the the pros who have been doing this for forty plus years, they're all approaching retirement age now, and they're kind of leaving the the industry in mass, which creates huge opportunity for young people to enter the field, and that means young people of of all backgrounds with all different types of experiences. Um, everything is transitioning green right now, right? A lot of people are changing their practices to be more environmentally focused, to focus more on employee health and safety. The turnover or the uptick in, in women entering the industry is really huge right now. So I think it's kind of like a blank slate in the energy sector right now. And so whether or not you think that you may or you know may not be a, a fit for this industry based on your interests or your background or your gender, I think all of that kind of is, is going out the window as the whole industry kind of turns over a new leaf in terms of you know environment and digitalization efforts and diversity initiatives and kind of all of these things that that are taking place within oil and gas right now okay that's excellent advice well that's all the questions i have today i would like to thank kate for your time thanks so much for having me it was great that brings us to the end of another episode thanks for listening and see you next week That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.